seal them so that on this journey of life we will be faithful to you and we will end up in the house of the Lord where we shall dwell forever. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your word today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Johnny Cash had a very quirky song that he released back in 1969 written by Shel Silverstein. It's about a boy who was given an unusual name. Let me read some of it to you. He says, well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to ma and me, just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. So he vows to kill his dad to get revenge, to find him and take his life. And the song goes on, there he was, gray and old, and I looked at him and my blood ran cold, and I said, my name is Sue, how do you do? And a vicious fight breaks out between the dad and the boy, and the boy pulls the gun on his dad, he's about ready to take his life, and the dad said, son, this world is rough, and if a man's going to make it, he's got to be tough, and I know I wouldn't be there to help you get along. So I gave you that name, and I said goodbye, and I knew you'd have to get tough or die, and it's the name that helped to make you so strong. And in the end, the boy says, and if I ever have a son, I will name him anything but Sue. It's a bit of a rough song, but it's a funny song. A boy named Sue, how do you do? You know, it's tough to go through life with a name like that. When I was pastoring in Cambridge, Ohio, I had a man in my congregation whose name was Donald Duck. He was a businessman and quite a great salesman. I baptized Donald Duck one Sunday night. And people used to come and visit our church, and he'd walk up and put out his hand and said, I'm Donald Duck. And often someone would say, I'm Napoleon or something like that. It's tough. There was another guy in that same area who had the same name, Donald Duck. And he committed suicide. Because sometimes it's really hard to live with a name like that. And here's a name that's a bit unusual too. The name Caleb. For the name Caleb in Hebrew means dog. Oh, it could have been given for some good reasons because there are canine qualities that we admire like fidelity and courage and eagerness and enthusiasm. But often it was used in a very derogatory term, especially outside of the Bible. The ancient cuneiform literature tells us that a Canaanite king, in the very region where Joshua is conquering, a Canaanite king called himself Pharaoh's dog. But this boy somehow grew up to have tremendous courage and to be tough. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14, and we want to look at how this man Caleb handled his name. In fact, the name becomes insignificant in the story, except to only imagine how he must have been teased as a boy. But it didn't deter him. 
As Pastor Doug read a moment ago, we begin in verse 6 of chapter 14 with Caleb talking to Joshua, saying, remember when you and I explored the land, we were sent out by Moses, verse 7, I was 40 years old, and Moses sent me out from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. Remember that? And remember how our brothers had a bad report, but according to my convictions, verse 8, I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I followed him with all of my heart. Caleb was wholehearted. Often when we're talking with individuals, maybe even our children, maybe you're a boss dealing with a coworker, you have a tendency to say, boy, that was a half-hearted job. We know what that is, don't we? You didn't put all your effort into it, didn't put all your soul into it, you did just enough to get by. But not Caleb. He was wholehearted and followed God with everything he possessed. In Numbers chapter 14, the Lord says, Caleb, my servant, has a different spirit in him. And it's my prayer as we look at this portion of Scripture today from Joshua that you and I will have that same spirit of wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, when I study the life of Caleb, I see that he faced three great temptations throughout his life and to see the first one, we've actually got to go back to Numbers chapter 14. So let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers, actually Numbers 13. Numbers chapter 13. And this temptation that Caleb faces while he's young is the temptation to rebel against God's word. And the challenge is this. The peer pressure around him is trying to force him to disobey God. That's an unusual and powerful temptation when you're young, peer pressure. So from Numbers chapter 13, we read in verse 1 that the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, one from each ancestral tribe, Send out one of its leaders. In other words, send out the best, the cream of the crop. This was God's idea. He wasn't sending them out to determine if they should go. Verse 1 says he gave them the land. They were exploring the land to see how they should take it. So Caleb was chosen as the leader of the tribe of Judah. And Hoshea is Joshua. And he is chosen, verse 8, to lead from the tribe of Ephraim. So Joshua and Caleb become best of friends early on. And they, with the 12 spies, go in to view the land of Canaan. They've just come away from Egypt. God has performed some mighty miracles. They're convinced God is with them. And now they're going to possess the land that God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. With wisdom and courage, these men go forth on their scouting trip. And they took 40 days, we're told in verse 25, and they bring back some amazing fruit, that's verse 23. In fact, it took two people to carry one cluster of grapes because it was so huge. And they picked that up in the Valley of Escalo, which is around Hebron. 
So they came back, the twelve, to give their report, and they gave the good news first. They said, verse 27, "Uh, We went into the land to which you sent us, Moses, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. And I can just see them holding it up, you know, and the people ooing and eyeing and being impressed. Wow, that looks great. Can't wait to get to the land of milk and honey and fruit. But, verse 28, Ah, there's always a but. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, and we even saw the descendants of Anak there. As you read later on in the text, they are also called the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, and they are giants. By the way, we're going to see, Lord willing, next week that one of these giants that is not eliminated comes from the city of Gath, and his name happens to be Goliath. So they're intimidated by these giants, but notice verse 30, Caleb silences the people. So there's murmuring and discussion and wailing and fear, and Caleb says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Way to go, dog. I mean, that's bold, isn't it? To stand up against your peers and side with the promise of God. That's exactly what he does. But the people come back, the men who had gone up with him, the timorous ten, said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. The land we explored devours those who are living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Now remember this, that when we got into the book of Joshua, the people in the land had heard what God had done for the Israelites in bringing them out of Egypt. And the Bible says their hearts were melting because of fear for the God of the Israelites. And now look at the Israelites. When they first get into the land, they're scared stiff. They're giants in the land. They'll devour us. And then the end of the chapter says, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. The giants versus the grasshoppers. You know, there is a professional baseball team in San Francisco called the Giants. There is a professional football team in New York called the Giants. There are no professional teams called the Grasshoppers. (laughs) Not a one. Not very intimidating. And I want you to know that the size of your problem is relative to the elevation of your vision. The size of your problem is relative to the elevation of your vision. Where are you, what's your position from which you're looking? For instance, I have been close to uh, college basketball players, fairly close to professional basketball players, and they are huge. I mean huge. I'm six foot and they tower above me. The small guys are taller than I am. But I've been to a few professional games where my seat was in the second deck in the last row, so high that I could touch the ceiling. 
And I want, you to, I want you to know that those players look pretty small from there. Now, if I'm looking at the, my problem from a human standpoint, my problem looks like a giant. But if I get up from God's perspective, from the divine perspective, <laughs> those people look pretty small. Because our God is great. Why was he so confident? Chapter 13, verse 1, he held on to the promise of God. God said, I'm giving you this land. Caleb says, okay. There's going to be some challenges, but we'll go forward. However, chapter 14 tells us the people were demoralized. They were weeping and grumbling. If only we had died in Egypt, they said. And Moses and Aaron fell down on their face before the whole assembly. And verse 6 of chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes, which is a sign of mourning, of repentance, of grief. They said, we'll go ahead. We can devour them. Verse 9, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people because we'll swallow them up. It literally means we'll eat them like bread. Isn't that an interesting statement based on what the other uh, explorers said? They said the land devours anyone who goes in it, and Caleb says we'll eat it like bread. In other words, it's a piece of cake. Because God is on our side, it's not going to be a problem. We'll swallow them up. Verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. What do you get for standing for the truth of God? Sometimes you get the ire and hatred of those around you. The tide of public opinion had turned. And now here's the question. And with every challenge, there's a big question. What would Caleb do? Would he go with the flow or follow the Lord? What, what will you and I do when tempted by those around us to cave in and give up the promise of God and join the majority report. Caleb stood up faithfully to the Lord. And this is what I like. As Caleb stood up, God showed up. <laughs> the Lord appeared, verse 10. The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. And God was pretty disgusted with these people. But he gives a promise to Caleb. It's not articulated here, but he does say in verse 24, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You remember the story, no one else gets into the land out of the whole nation except Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, that's it. Because he was of a different spirit. I want you to know that you don't have to give in to peer pressure when you're holding on to God's promise. If you have the promise of God, view life from his perspective and the giant's will disappear. The difficulties of life can dwindle and disappear like the morning fog in a hot sun when we look not at the size of the giants, but the greatness of Jehovah. 
get more caught up with God than your problems. Some of the most godly people I know, I know are people who look at their problems and say, I can't wait to see how God's going to deal with this one. And I'm saying, ah, deliver me. I can't handle this. So Lord, change my perspective from looking from this vantage point, earthly, to a divine vantage point based on your word. Now what does Caleb get for his faithfulness? How about this? 45 years in the desert. Boy, that's not much of a win. <laughs> and it leads us into the great second temptation. It's now the temptation to resent the providence of God. The challenge is this. God's timing seems pitifully slow. I mean, be honest. Am I the only one who feels that way? When I pray for healing, when I pray for a change, when I pray for God to show up and he doesn't, he's promised to do this. And that's where we need to yield not only to the outcome, but the timing of the outcome. And that perhaps is even more difficult. For God doesn't run according to our calendar. Caleb has to wait 45 years in the desert, desert wandering, exploring, running, fighting, but not obtaining. It's amazing. It took 40 days for the spies to go in all the way to the top of the country and down, and it's going to take 40 years for the nation to finally get into the country because they disobey the word of God. And all of that does is prove the maxim that the shortest distance between two points is a zigzag. And that's how you and I often live our lives. God says, I want you to go from here to here. We say, okay, Lord, but before, let me go over here first. And then I think this might be a better approach. And we're going back and forth instead of going straight to the promise of God. Here is the temptation of middle age. If the, the great temptation of youth is to be pressured by your peers to rebel against the word of God, then here the great trial of middle age is to deny the wisdom of God, to complain against God's delays instead of being content. This trial, not as volcanic as the temptations of youth, but what it loses in its intensity, it gains in subtlety. In middle age, it's so easy for us to complain against a sovereign good God. The hardest part of the journey is the middle mile, not the start, not when you see the finish line, but the middle. Sin and unbelief had doomed Caleb. The sin of his contemporaries had doomed Caleb to 45 years of disappointment and frustration. And these are supposed to be the best years of his life. Have you been there? Caleb attended a lot of funerals in 40 years. That's discouraging. He saw Korah's rebellion. He saw the people complain in the incident of the bronze snake, look and live. He saw Balaam's seduction and what had happened. It was, 
It was a horrible time. But it was a good time because God was making Caleb strong. And it wasn't a bad name that was making him strong. It was the providence of God. It's a true story told of a missionary who was out on the field and she was serving the Lord in a very remote region and she got sick. So sick she couldn't get to the store to buy any food and no one could get food for her. So sick she couldn't go to the doctor to find out what was actually wrong and so the only thing she had in the house was oatmeal and canned milk and she ate that for 40 days. She got a little bit better, and when she was better, she went right to the doctor, and, and the doctor said, this is amazing. You are a very lucky woman. He wasn't a believer. You're a very lucky woman, he, he said. She said, why? Because if you would have eaten real food with your malady, it could have killed you. What we normally prescribe for people with your disease is 40 days of an oatmeal diet. <laughs> And what she despised for 40 days was exactly what the doctor ordered. And what you and I despise as the difficulties and challenges of life are almost always what God has ordered. I should say always what God has ordered has allowed us to go through to strengthen us, to steal us, to test us, to grow us. And none of us like the fire, but that's how we are purified. And so here's the big question, will I be content with my lot in life? Or will I live complaining about everything? Boy, it's tough to go from complaining to contentment. Try to do it for a day. Try to not complain about one thing for a day. Try it. See how far you get. And after you first get up and go to the bathroom and you complain once, <laughs> don't give up. Recommit. See if you can ever go a whole day without complaining. I'm not sure I've done it yet. But that's what happens in the middle mile. That's what happens in these years of temptation where sometimes we're suffering for the sins of others. And yet we've got to remain faithful. Now at the end of the book of Numbers in chapter 34, you don't need to turn there, but when they decide that they're going to divide the land when they finally get in there, they select land commissioners, people who are men of integrity and trustworthy, and Caleb is chosen to be one of the key land commissioners. That's great. Way to go, dog. But he's not done yet. There's one more temptation he's got to face. And that's where we come back to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14. So he has endured the temptation, the temptation to rebel against the word of God, and he did not cave in. He has endured the 40 years of that temptation to resent the providence of God, and he did not sin. At least nothing's recorded there. He might have had his bad days, but... He came to the end, and now here's the last temptation, and maybe one of the greatest of all. 
It is the temptation to retire from God's service because of our advancing years. In other words, we just think, you know, I've done my thing, and it's time for me to step down. This may be one of the most hardest, the hardest temptation of all. So as we look at chapter 14, uh, Caleb says to Joshua, remember that my brothers who went up with me, with us, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. Interesting phrase. I, however, followed the Lord my God with all of my heart. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. We learn later on in the chapter that the place where his feet walked was Hebron. And, that now become, and that's where the giants are. If you jump down to verse 13, Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. And that's where, verse 12, give me this hill country around Hebron, that the Lord promised me on that day, and you yourself heard then that the Anakites, the Nephilim, are there. And their cities are large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. It appears when God said the land that your feet walked on will be yours. Is it possible that all the other spies were afraid to walk into the land and mountains around Hebron because of the giants and only Caleb walked the land? And maybe that's why the Lord said to him, the, feet, the land that your feet walked on and no one else will be yours. It's beautiful country. It's hill country. It was a promise mentioned here in Joshua 14, but not clearly articulated back in the book of Numbers. And so, verse 19, now, just as the Lord promised, He's kept me alive for 45 years. Apparently, that was another promise. Caleb, I'll give you the land of Hebron where you walked, and I'll keep you alive to see it. While Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am, middle of verse 10. Today, I am 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I have to admit to you, I don't think that's true. But I think he believed it was true. Now, I do believe that he had amazing strength because you read in the next chapter, he's going to take the giants, not alone, but with other soldiers, with Joshua helping, but he'll lead the charge. And that's amazing at 85. Just as strong and vigorous as he used to be, yeah, I think he believes it. You're only as old as you think you are in spirit. Kudos to Caleb. Because here he is, advancing years don't hold him back. Here's the temptation where you and I think, should I continue serving the Lord or should I just let the younger ones do it? Now, you may have to change your area of service, but don't change your service. 
That's the point. Don't give up to the temptation that because I've served before, I no longer need to serve anymore. Continue to follow God with all of your heart, just exactly like Caleb does. The word retire is apparently from the French, and it's a word that means retreat. This is the time for life's greatest accomplishments. This should be the time for pressing forward, not petering out. And notice what Caleb tells us here. He not only talks about being strong and willing to advance and that God has kept him alive, but he's confident that with the Lord's help, this can be done. Verse 12, now give me this hill country. Have you ever heard that song, I want that mountain? I want that mountain. That's where it comes. This is where it comes from. I was going to quote the rest of it to you, but I cannot remember it. So uh, some of you who do can sing it to each other later. I want this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, their cities large and fortified. But with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. He's got God's promise, verse 10, and God's protection, he's kept me alive, and God's power, I can drive them out. And so he did, chapter 15 and verse 14, and Caleb takes the land. And although the giants, the Anakites, are going to live in other places, And it's very interesting that one of the places where the giants continued to live and they were not eliminated is the town of Gath. And one of those giants lived to be the attacker of Israel. I've already mentioned his name, Goliath. But there were no giants around Hebron. They were gone because Caleb took them out. Amazing, 85 some of you that follow golf will know that the, the Hall of Fame golfer Gary Player, the South African, is turning 85 this year. And he's an amazing specimen of health. And he golfed right up fairly competitively into his 70s and then kept golfing. And he's not doing as much now, but 85 and still out there. But Caleb's story is even better. Psalm 92 says, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in their old age. That should be our heart's desire. And so what's the secret? I don't think it's too hard to find this secret. Caleb followed God with all of his heart. Wholeheartedly. W-H whole heart. The word mediocre is an interesting word. It comes from two words, medium, median, which means halfway, and ochre, which comes from the word for mountain. Mediocre means halfway up the mountain. Halfway is good enough. Half-hearted is good enough. Doing half the job is good. That's what we often say. But it should be totally different when we're serving the Lord. 
The people of God had hearts melting in fear because of the giants. Caleb had a bold heart, a whole heart of faith and conquered the giants. And that's how you and I can do it in our lives as well. The question is, will we serve our Lord with all of our hearts? Or will we just go about this thing called Christianity in a mediocre way? It's still early in the year to make some resolves. To decide that you will, this year, follow God with all of your heart. And the day when that doesn't happen, maybe the second or third day after your resolution, pick yourself up. And start all over again, because the righteous are not those who don't fall. The righteous are those who fall and get up seven times. They just keep getting up, and they keep going on. And that's what happened to Caleb. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is wholehearted in his love for you. And you and I need to be wholehearted in our love for Christ. I consider that he died for all and all were dead, Paul said. So I'm constrained by the love of Christ. That if he died for me, then I should live for him with everything I've got. Joshua will end his book with these challenging words, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, what's the rest of it? We will serve the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing illustration of a man of God who believed the word of God in difficult times and conquered Caleb the overcomer. He was able to overcome, not because of his own strength or even his own resolve, but because he trusted your word and you blessed him. There was a different spirit in him than in the half-hearted world around him. And I pray, Lord, that you will give to us this same wholehearted devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, please turn your hymnals to hymn number 382. Be thou my vision.